0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 178, with Melanie Shankle. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 178. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Melanie Schenkel is the New York Times bestselling author behind Nobody's Cuter Than You, The Antelope in the Living Room, Sparkly Green Earrings, and her newest book, Church of the Small Things, The Million Little Pieces That Make Up a Life. Melanie first shared her hilarious observations and loving wisdom on the Big Mama blog, which helped define a new genre of blogging for women as it attracted a devoted audience now thousands deep. This Texas A&M graduate is also a guest blogger for high-profile outlets and an in-demand speaker at events across the country. A proud Texan, self-professed target junkie, and lover of anthropology sales, Melanie calls San Antonio her home, with her husband Perry, her teenage daughter Caroline, and two wild dogs, Piper and Mabel. I had so much fun preparing for this interview and reading different pieces of Melanie's writing. I highly recommend you check out her blog, The Big Mama Life, and definitely check out her books, especially her newest book, Church of the Small Things, The Million Little Pieces That Make Up a Life. Listening to hear Melanie share today with the shameless moms, how she grappled with and came to embrace raising an only child, things that she wished she'd known earlier related to motherhood, womanhood, and perms the lies of unicorns and perfect mothers, how she sees women living more shamelessly today than ever before, yay, and why moms need to push their boundaries in front of their kids. This was a fun interview. I'm excited to share it with you. I think you're gonna love Melanie. She has an amazing Texas accent please do share this episode. The easiest way to share is just by screenshotting your episode while you're listening to it. Screenshot and then post it on social media and just say, hey, I'm listening to this amazing interview with Melanie Schenkel on the Shameless Mom Academy and tag me on Instagram or Facebook. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy and I will reply and comment, but people can then find the episode themselves. They can just see my friend is in iTunes, she's listening or Apple podcast or Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, she's listening to this great interview, I can go into my podcast app and do a search for the Shameless Mom Academy and find the same episode and listen as well. So super easy way to share the shameless love. And I do appreciate you guys sharing episodes. And I always do reply when you tag me in your shares. So thank you. Thank you for sharing in advance. That's how we spread the shameless love. So keep sharing away. Okay, let's go ahead and dive in with Melanie Shankle. Melanie Schenkel, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I had so much fun researching for this episode in this interview, just digging through so many things you've written and so many things you've put out there and shared. So I'm very excited to dive into all this content and talk about your new book.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here and to talk about it.
0: Yay. Okay, so let's go. Let's start with the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. So tell us a little bit more behind the scenes, what's going on and what you're most excited about right now.
1: Okay, I am behind the scenes right now. I feel like I'm recovering from book launch. So I've been doing that <laughs> for the last month. So I'm spending a lot of time really glamorously in my pajamas with no makeup on. Nice which is heaven and just time to dial back in. My daughter is a freshman in high school. So I feel like high school is just a busier rhythm of life. So we've just been so busy with all of her stuff and she plays soccer. And then I feel like we're making it to the Friday night football games and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like that's occupying one space. And then on the other hand, editing a project, a devotional book that comes out in March of next year. And then I'm writing another devotional book that's for teenage girls that comes out in August of next year. So I've got a lot of writing on my plate, which you wouldn't know by how much Netflix I've been letting myself watch lately. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to I was
0: actually just last week, I was in Nashville with one of my mentors doing some business coaching. And we were talking about 100 day sprints. And I know different people do these in many different ways, but kind of the idea was like, you give yourself these timeframes where you're like, I got to go all in. I got to really hustle. I got to really push. But then also I need like recovery,
1: downtime, rest, relaxation, Netflix, because you can't just go 110% all the time. No, you can't. I mean, you will totally burn yourself out. And I feel like I've learned that the hard way a million different times, you know, where <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to hit that brick wall to go, Oh, okay, I need to stop. So I really have been trying to give myself space in between like each project. Yeah. And truthfully, probably have taken on a little bit more in this season than what I would like, just to have two writing projects on top of a book launch. But you know, sometimes that's just life. Yeah, yeah. Another woman who I know who is in
0: She's a therapist and a life coach and a writer. And I know that she's single with no children, which makes this a little Mm -hmm. easier. But she takes herself every quarter. She goes to either Mexico or Hawaii for a week.
1: Oh, nice.
0: And it's her like, that's where she's like, I'm just not writing. And I'm not like talking to people. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's
1: it. I was like, this is like my dream. How do I make this happen? (laughs) I was gonna say, when I hear stuff like that, it makes me think I'm not living my best life. I'm like... (laughs) Why am I not doing that? Why am I not in Hawaii right now? I should be
0: right, right. But everyone's best life looks a little different. It's true. I'm sure coming home from things related to your book launch and being able to go to like the football game with your family and your daughter, I'm sure that that is like, that's your Hawaii. (laughs)
1: It is. It is. I mean, it's funny because my husband and I have laughed because we just celebrated 20 years of marriage in August Uh, um, and we have a 14 year old. Well, we laughed because people were like, what did you do? And I'm like, well, I drove to soccer practice. I mean, that's (laughs) what we did. But we were like, you know what? In four years, because she's our only child, we're like, in four years, we'll be able to do whatever we want to do. So it's like, this is what this looks like right now in this season of life. And, you know, it changes and it'll look totally different in a couple of years. Right. Our 10 year wedding anniversary is coming up. And a couple of months ago we
0: talked about going to Greece. And now I'm already like I don't know that sounds hard. Like yeah. it sounds amazing but it's like the logistics and trying to find childcare, I don't know, maybe we should just like stay home.
1: <laughs> yes, all the list so cool. I would have to write for everybody right. to take care of everything I do. That's like too much. I'll right. just do it some other time. Yeah, so, I totally get that.
0: <laughs> so funny. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about your book. So your new book, Church of the Small Things, A Million Little Pieces That Make Up a Life. I know it's full of hilarious anecdotes and soulful reflections. So tell us a little bit about the book and your primary mission with the book.
1: The book really is, I mean, the title pretty much sums it up. I mean, to me, it's about just kind of my appreciation and just how I learned to appreciate the small things in life. Just that oftentimes, you know, we live for the big moments and those are the ones that, you know, we wait for and we hope for. But it's really like the day to day small things that build up our life. I mean, that's what the bulk of our lives are. And to me, the book came out of like two different things. Number one, I felt like my own struggles with am I supposed to be doing more? Mm -hmm. You know, just as you look around and there are, you know, women doing incredible things and like huge things. And that is awesome. I mean, they're adopting, you know, children from foreign countries and they're, you know, starting fundraisers and mission programs and all this stuff and it just made me feel like am I doing enough? Like I mean, okay, I cooked like chicken for dinner last night. Is that <laughs> enough? <laughs> So it came with kind of my own wrestling with that. And then it came with a combination of what ended up being chapter two in the book it started out as just kind of an essay I wrote about my grandparents. And when I read back over that, I thought they left such a mark on my life and made such a difference in who I am and really in the life of like their family. I mean, my cousins, my aunts and uncles all the way down the line. And I thought they didn't do anything big. Like they just lived these small, faithful lives in their community. They loved their family. They loved the people around them. They opened up the doors of their home and it was really coming to terms with that because I'm like, I think we hear about all these other things because they're amazing. But really, I believe that like 95 percent of us are living in the small things.
0: Yeah, totally. So something you just said resonated with a conversation I just had with my husband last night, talking about seeing other people who are like saving the world and adopting all the the babies and from all the foreign lands and all these things. And it makes you feel like, "Hmm, do I have more room on my plate? Like, should I be taking on more? And I just last night we were talking and I want to get into the only child conversation with you because I know that's a conversation that you have been involved in and committed to. So we have a five-year-old and we can't have another Uh child. And as he gets older, I'm like, kind of feel like there's room for something more. And also I feel like this obligation. And then I see other people like serving children in other ways. And so I was talking to my husband about this last night as he is Mm -hmm. constantly telling me that we need to get rid of baby things. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm not quite ready. What if, like, what if we figure out a way maybe like foster babies, adoption, all these things. And so the conversation we had last night was about like, am I just a person that always needs to take on more because I need to like be struggling? Or can I just be like, oh, what we have is fantastic and I just want to enjoy what we have
1: yeah I know I know that's it and it's like and I think that to me that's a wrestling because I remember having that same thing and ironically when my daughter was about five where I was like are we really not going to have another baby are we going to adopt a baby are we going to foster but you know like just that was one of the things and because I think that I had this vision in my head of what my life would look like versus what the reality of it is like and I think there are times that I have to like reconcile that where I'm like no I think I'm where I am because this is what suits me best and that vision I had for myself was not really what would have made me the most content and the most happy and you have to follow that you know it's be true to yourself and not just look around at what everybody else is doing right
0: what was the vision that you had versus what you're actually living right now
1: I mean, I think in my mind, I would have had at least two kids. You know, I think, you know, that right. to me, I was raised with a sister. And so you think, well, the, you know, a real family has at least two kids, <laughs> you know, and then. We're not yeah. real yet. <laughs> we're not real. Yeah. We're just waiting to be real. But right. I think that's how it felt to yeah. me for a yeah. lot, you know, because, but I think that became back to like societal pressure of that's what it's supposed to look like, you know, not did I really want that? And is, was that best for us? I mean, I think that I thought that I was going to marry a man who went to work in a suit every day and work like a nine to five job. And my husband owns a landscaping company and owns <laughs> one suit that maybe he wears one time a year, you know? Oh, so um, funny. So it's just, you know, it's those kind of things. I thought yeah. that when I found out I was having a daughter, I thought that I would have a girly girl who played with Barbies and did ballet and all that stuff. And I have like a rough and tumble soccer player who hunts and fishes with her dad, you oh know? So it's just all those things where you just have to readjust what your expectations were to line up with what your reality is.
0: Right, right. Well, that's what part of our conversation last night too was that like me thinking, like, let's make space for a second child. But then what if that because I have this idyllic picture of like, Vinny will play with the other child, <laughs> and it will just be so magical. And they'll be like the best of friends all the time. And yeah, like, it would never be that way. I mean, there might yeah. be moments like that. So it's interesting that it's easy to create this picture in your head. And the reality could be potentially be so different than that. Yes. But what we grapple with in our heads is this like perfect picture that we're attached to.
1: It's because I blame it because we've all watched Parenthood and we watched the Braverman's And yes. we're like, oh. we're like, that is see, look, I've deprived my kid. She's never going to sit with her grown up siblings in our backyard totally, with twinkle lights and totally. have a magical dinner. Oh you know, everybody. <laughs> That's it.
0: That's so funny. That's one of the things I said to my husband last night. He's nine years older than me. And Vinny, okay. being a boy, I said, you know, I'm really aware you being nine years older than me, like you could die away. Way before I do. And then Vinny could marry someone and like want to go do things with her family. And who's going to have Thanksgiving with me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, are you kidding me? You really are thinking? I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I'm thinking. Like, this is why we need like 13 foster children. So I have people to have Thanksgiving.
1: Yes, we need to have a Thanksgiving baby. (laughs) You need to think about me, what I'm going to be doing for Thanksgiving in 2042. I mean, that really is.
0: (laughs) Because think of the Bravermans on Thanksgiving, like the full crowded house and the energy. And like, of course, there's always drama and chaos. But yeah, so that's where our heads get
1: so confused and twisted, I think. Yes, yes. And I think that for me, it came back to kind of like understanding myself better where I'm like, I'm an introvert who likes to have quiet spaces and downtime. And, you know, so when I spend time with my friends who do have a lot of kids, I'm like, I wouldn't want that. This would not be the right fit for me. Like as much as it is the right fit for them, I'm like, this isn't the right fit for me. And I had to adjust that because you also have to go. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's not a right one or a wrong one. It's just what's the best fit for you and your personality and your marriage and your lifestyle and all that stuff. Right,
0: right. Yeah, that's interesting. And I also give a lot of thought to, and this could fit for anyone who you know however many children you have, or. What, but I think it fits into different phases of your life. And I see like where my professional direction is going right now. And a second child would change that. Yeah. And I think that this would be true for like, you know, parents who, and I've had friends who have had this happen where like, you know, they have two kids and they get the second one finally in kindergarten. And then they're like ready to take on their professional life again. And they accidentally get pregnant with a third. So I think that there's all sorts of situations that like, where you just see this professional course starting to shift directions and you get really inspired and connected to that. And another child would really shift and change things. And so I'm trying to be very aware of, like, I love the direction things are going, and I'm really embracing that. But it's working well, because of the dynamics of my family with one child who is now five. Yeah, so yeah, trying to that's so true. Yeah, recognize those pieces of it as well.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, and I really felt like I had a moment after Caroline, my daughter, had started kindergarten. So like at the same stage where you were, where I really felt like God was telling me, you are going to give birth to something, but it's not going to be another baby. And that was really the beginning of me taking my writing seriously and kind of started the whole book journey and all of that stuff. And I look and think it does require so much that yeah. if I were juggling a whole lot more in terms of kids, I just don't think that I could do, it would be even harder to be gone. You know, it yeah. would be harder for me to take the time away that I do. So and now you get to
0: Yeah, definitely. And you now have the ability to kind of mother in a different way. Yeah. But so many more people like your impact is so much bigger.
1: Yeah, it's just a different, you know, and it's just where you kind of go, God has different things for all of us, you know, like that has become my, you know, I guess you could say like mission field, if we're going to use super churchy terms, but it's like, that's mine. And I think for other people that happens, you know, specifically with your family, because you're raising five or six kids, Mm -hmm. you know, so.
0: So let's talk about the power of small moments over big occasions. And you alluded to this a little bit earlier. and I Mm -hmm. think that this is something I've talked about before on, on the show where we put a lot of weight into big things, like going to Disneyland or you know yes. Christmas Day or New Year's Eve, like all these things that we put so much weight in specific events, birthday parties, whatever. Oftentimes those things don't quite, like they might be fun and fantastic in certain ways, but also sometimes they don't quite live up to our expectations. Talk about those moments versus the smaller moments that maybe don't even recognize.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, to me, it's that, you know, the big moments are like, you know, prom and high school graduation and then college graduation and then getting your first job and getting married and having your first baby, you know, or whatever those things are that like you look for. And we set up in our mind is like, when this thing happens, I'm going to feel fulfilled. You know, like when Mm -hmm. this thing happens, that's when life is really going to begin. And I felt like for me, a lot of those things, they happen and you're like, huh, okay, well, so that was good. That was a nice three minutes of celebration, (laughs) you know, like, And now what? You know, so to me, it's that we miss if we're constantly living for the big moments or we think the big moments are what define us or that we have to be doing these big things. Then I think we miss and can overlook just the day to day joys and where we are. You know, just if we're constantly waiting for our kids to get out of diapers and start school, then I think we miss the joy of toddlerhood, even though I get it. Sometimes that feels like a hostage situation, (laughs) you know, like it's hard (laughs) But there's also a unique joy in that. And you don't want to overlook just kind of the day to day of what that is. And I just think that's more of it is we tend to look ahead to the next thing is instead of just paying attention to where we are. And we feel like we've got to be doing something big and huge. And to me, God may just be saying, you know what you need to do? Like, go get your neighbor's mail, you know, bring them some cookies, be kind to the you know, elderly lady who lives next door or whatever, because that's where we have an impact to me so much more than. Sometimes on a bigger stage. Because to me, when I look at the people that have had the most profound effect on my life, it's the people who really poured into my life, not necessarily some far off figurehead that I admired from afar. Right.
0: filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS I swear it's like, So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. One of the things I've really been focusing on lately is, so Vinny, my son goes to school right across the street from our house. It's like we cross the street and we walk up half of a block. It is a steep hill, though. We live in the middle of a hill, so we walk half a block uphill, and one of the things that has happened, and so this is his last, he's in pre-K this year. So it's his last year. It's his fourth year at this school. One of the Mm -hmm. things that has happened over time is there's been many, many mornings of like crying the whole way there. Like he didn't want to go to school. We had long periods of separation anxiety in his first two Mm -hmm. years there. And it was grueling. And I was like, oh, I can't do this every day. And Yeah. I felt like by the time I walked the half a block home, I'd used up all my energy for the day. And this year, I'm trying to be really conscientious of the fact. And luckily, now he's not crying the whole way to school anymore. So, I'm trying to be conscientious of the fact that I'm not rushing him up the hill because there's definitely mornings where I'm like, "Come on, hurry up! Can you walk yes. faster?" Like, and I've even caught myself saying, "You got to keep up! You got to keep, up. yeah." <laughs> like he's like my soldier behind yeah. me. Yeah,
1: hurry, up, hurry and up! So I've been
0: trying yes. to like give a little extra time for that walk, or even if we're a couple minutes late, because you know it's pre-K. Like it's okay yeah. for a minute or yeah, two. It's going to be all where right. We, yeah, right. Where we can actually like talk as we walk up the hill and Mm -hmm. engage. And so that hopefully, you know, we have like limited opportunities for interactions and conversation with our kids. And so I've been trying to think of like, where are the times that we have these built in opportunities for conversation throughout the day? And that's definitely one of them. So I've been trying to like, slow down, have the conversation, like be engaged, be in the moment for the half a block up the hill. Yeah, yeah. Those when I think of the little moments in our day, that is one that really stands out to me. And it's something that I can take advantage of every single day, which I really like
1: yeah and I think that that's it and to me in motherhood I had an older friend who really helped me and she said you know you've got to start talking to your kids when they're little like even when sometimes you know maybe you're talking to them about I don't know who's your favorite superhero or whatever because that trains them to where they'll keep talking to you as they right, get older right you know that you, they learn that you're somebody that they can talk to and they can trust and they can share their feelings with and it's like that takes time and it takes patience and I mean let's be honest some days as moms I feel like we do it really well and some days we're like, come on, get your (laughs) shoes on and get out of my house. Like, I do not want to hear mom come out of your mouth again, you know, so it's like the times that we can make ourselves dial in. I feel like those are so valuable. Yeah, yeah. In the book, you have a list of things
0: I wish I'd known. Can you share some of that list with us? (laughs) Specifically to motherhood? Or do you want like just in general? What everyone stand out most to you that youth would think would be most valuable to others?
1: I think for me, like one of the things like I'll start with motherhood just because we've been talking so much about that. But I do think as I now that I'm the mom of a high schooler and I don't even know that I put this one in the book, but I think there's this thing of I stressed out over so many things in elementary school that now I'm like, that was a dumb thing to stress out over. (laughs) You know what? you know, it didn't matter is if she wasn't in the gifted program and nobody cares. Like you get to high school and it's like, doesn't even matter. Oh my you gosh, know, that's so That's such a huge thing here
0: in Seattle. It's, I like try to not laugh at people because there's a lot of gifted children in Seattle. Apparently, yes. It's like a constant yes. conversation I see on Facebook about how do we test in and how do we get in and how do we qualify? <laughs>
1: Yes. And it's a whole thing of like, and then you have all these kids that are in it. And it's kind of like a friend of mine said, Shit, at some point, if everybody's special, ain't nobody that special. Right. And I was like, That's right. <laughs> like, you got to. You know, and then you realize like they get to this age and you're like, it really doesn't matter. You know what? They all learn how to read and write. They all get to be in whatever classes that they need to be in. It's all going to be fine. And I think that goes into like things that I in the book, I said things I wish I would have known as a as a young mom. I wish I would have known that kids all reach their milestones in their own time, like trying to make my two week old hold a rattle in her hand because I thought that was really important. That was a waste of time. Like that wasn't going to determine whether or not she was going to be in the Olympics. You know, that potty training is terrible for everybody. Like (laughs) people who say it was so easy, they're liars. So they're just trying to make you feel bad because it is hard. (laughs) So just things that like, it's okay to sometimes lock yourself in the bathroom for a few minutes. You know, sometimes it's okay to say mommy is going to put herself in timeout. You know, that's that you know, that there's going to come a day that you don't have to chase a toddler around the pool in your swimsuit, which to me is like the run of shame that you'll be able to sit there and, you know, read a magazine and just look up every now and then. And then I kind of did some of them were like things I wish I would known in high school. I wish I had known that tweezers were my friend, you know, like it's don't be afraid to maybe get rid of some of those eyebrows. <laughs> totally. That's what works for Brooke Shields may not work for you. Right that I went to high school in the 80s. So I said, maybe like nautical themed attire is better for like just sailors that I don't need to wear <laughs> a big sailor collar. And that four perms a year is four perms too many to put in oh my your hair. Gosh. Oh so, that's so that was funny. Yeah, that's uniquely the 80s. I don't feel like kids of the 90s had that same struggle.
0: No. Well, yeah. So no, my sister, though, I was born in 75. My sister was born in 79. So she would have gotten a perm. I never got a perm. She got a perm. It would have been in the late 80s. Yeah. And she already had quite wavy hair. And uh, that was kind of in a mullet. And then she got it permed. And it was so bad. And she knew it was really bad. And I knew it was really bad. And I was not a supportive big sister. And I made so much fun of her. (laughs) And she was like in hysterics over the whole thing. And she wore a hood for maybe like a week or something after that, like the poor, the poor, poor girl. And my mom, we to this day, we laugh, we like give my mom a hard time. Like, why would you let the child with the mullet and the already wavy hair go get this like super
1: tight curly perm?
0: And my mom's like, I just wanted like her to be happy and confident. She really wanted it. and It was like
1: it totally backfired. Yeah, that was a bad decision Perms in general. I'm like, I feel like that's and you notice that now like with everything that to me has come back around I don't foresee a time that everybody's going to decide to go back and start perming their hair again, (laughs) you know, like that one died a death for a reason. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Although my mom though, my mom still,
0: she's gotten her hair permed since like 1977, maybe like on a very regular basis. Okay. And I keep telling her she'd probably be fine without it. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's very committed. I mean, she has mm-hmm. pretty short hair, so it's the style fits her. It seems age appropriate. She's seventy-nine, yeah. so I mean, but yeah, it works. It's funny because when she talks, she's like when she came to visit last time, she goes, Oh. I didn't have time to get a perm before I came out here. And I was like, mom, it's fine. Like, no one's going to be like, wow, your mom
1: really should have gotten her perm. Your mom really should have gotten a perm. Nobody would even suspect that people still get perms. So certainly nobody's going to think that you should have had one before you visited. Right? That's funny. Yeah. So tell us why is it important for moms to face their fears,
0: be vulnerable, risk being hurt, and just try to take brave steps every day?
1: Oh, my gosh. Because I think, number one, to me, the biggest thing is because I think our kids are watching everything we do. And I think... I look at my daughter and think if I am going to constantly tell her that she needs to be brave and that she needs to face challenges, that then she needs to get back up after she fails or whatever, then she needs to see that I'm going to do the same thing. I always say kids are like they're like hypocrite radars, you know, so if they will flat call you out, if they see you living in a way that's counterproductive to what you're telling them they need to do. And so that's it. I mean, I think that we've got to do it because I think otherwise we can lose ourselves. So I think we've got to continue to push ourselves and not just settle into, you know, mediocrity and complacency, but to continue to see what else is out there for us.
0: Yeah, I think that I totally agree. And I'm becoming so much more aware as Vinny gets older of like what I want him to see us doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or not I mean, see I, us doing. <laughs> you yeah. Yeah. It I just I, I say that all the time to me, a brave mom is going to be somebody who raises brave kids. And yeah. I think just being a mom takes so much bravery because I think the world is so scary. I mean, there's a part in my book that I also put about things that keep me up at night. And I'm like, we're so aware of all the dangers in the world now. And to me, the world I mean, maybe it's always seemed scary. I mean, maybe in the Middle Ages, moms were like, you know, don't go out or whatever. But I think about being like a kid of the '70s when my mom would be like, "Okay, go out on your bike. See you after dark." And she didn't know where I was all day. She didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I was riding my bike up to the Seven Eleven and getting candy. You know, like you look now and you go, "Our kids can't necessarily have those same freedoms because I think the world is so different than it mm-hmm. was." then. But I think that we've also got to be brave as moms to let our kids, because I mean, all the steps they're taking are really steps away from us that are helping them learning to be, you know, learn to be self-sufficient, functioning adults. And so we've got to be okay to let them take those steps and to let them, you know, age appropriately start to Exert their independence and take some risks and all that stuff. Because uh, to me, I feel like you're reading more and more studies about the dangers of helicopter moms and like these college campuses that are saying like it's the parents that are calling the professors to like complain oh about the grades and stuff. And that's not okay. You know what I mean? Like that's, you've got to teach your kids. And I mean, I feel like that's one of the things going into high school where it's like if Caroline has an issue now, I'm like, well, you need to go talk to your teacher. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, and if it gets bad enough, but I'm like, that's really her. She's got to learn how to have a voice and all that. And I've got to step back and let her have a voice and all that.
0: My mom used to always encourage me to write letters to my teachers if I was upset about something. And this was specifically in college. I remember her, like, if I was upset about a grade or whatever, she'd be like, well, I really think, you know, you should write a letter to the teacher. And here's what you maybe would want to like a few things you might want to mention. And I remember just rolling my eyes and being like, Mom, I'm not going to write a letter to my teacher. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there were a few times that I did like I had to go, she did make me be a really good advocate for I had to go and get myself financial aid and she Uh would fill out like she would fill out the FAFSA every year and like there was parts that she could do. But then she was like, You also can go to the financial aid office and there's applications for like these three scholarships that you would qualify for and you need to go and you need to write the essay and like turn it on this day. And she made me be like a great advocate. And I had seen her advocate for us over the years. She was a single mom. And the way she advocated for us and wrote letters and filled out these forms and like these bleeding heart essays that she wrote for us to get into private schools for my entire education like I saw her do that and I knew how to do it when she made me do it. Like I didn't mm-hmm. love it. I actually did not like doing it at all, but I knew yeah. exactly how to do it. And I did it and I got the money. And that has something that is like been a, such a significant life skill. And I laugh now because now when something like doesn't go well, I'm like, I'm going to write a really well-worded email and my yes. mom would be so proud <laughs> Yeah. So it's interesting. I totally agree with what you say about like seeing what your parents are doing and modeling those behaviors. And also seeing your parents be brave. And I mean, I saw my mom do a lot of things as a single mom that were brave and uncomfortable. But she did not point out that she was doing those things that were brave and uncomfortable. She just kind of quietly did them and dismissed her own power, I think a lot of times. Exactly. And and I think that that's I, I mean, I think that moms do that today. But I think that there wasn't awareness around moms empowering themselves in like 1985. And I think today it's really important that when you are doing something brave and courageous, you let your kids know mommy's doing something like this is how we be brave. Instead of just doing it and doing it quietly Mm -hmm. and under the radar, really identifying I'm scared of this. Thing. Like I've gone on a couple Ferris wheels with Vinny, which I can't yes. stand heights. I can't stand things that go in circles. Mm-hmm. And he knows like I'm being super brave. He loves it. Yes. He knows I'm being super brave. And so we talk about where I'm like, I'm going to be really brave. And he's like, mommy, please don't barf on me. And I'm like, yes. I will not barf on you. Okay.
1: I'm do my best. Yeah, yeah, but
0: I'm not just like faking it that I love it the whole time. I'm like, oh, this makes me a little bit nervous. And so I think it's really important that we really label what we're doing so that then yeah. our kids can... Conscientiously mirror that back when the timing is appropriate.
1: I totally agree. Totally agree with that.
0: Tell us about the lies of unicorns and perfect mothers.
1: I think that we set up in our mind that there are perfect mothers. And I feel like social media feeds that because we all have a tendency, and I do it too, where the moment that we're going to choose to Facebook post about or Instagram post about, is going to be like a mothering highlight. You know, it's going to be the day that our kids get all A's on their report card and make the honor roll. It's going to be the day that they score the soccer goal. It's going to be all of that stuff. It's going to be the day that we manage to like make homemade cupcakes for their birthday party. (laughs) Like, here are these beautiful, whatever. And to me, what I've realized, especially like with all the lifestyle blogs that are out now and the decorating blogs and all that stuff is... The theory that there is somebody who can do everything well is a lie. I mean, I just don't think that's true. I mean, I think there are people that can decorate their house beautifully, but they may not be great cooks. Or they might be able to decorate and be great cooks, but they're not good at something else. Or, you know, the fact that we're all, you know, that they're a perfect mom and their kids are always so great and they can homeschool all of them and they all know how to cook and sew and like plant a garden and all that stuff. It's like we build that up in our mind. And I'm like, the bottom line is, is you're the perfect mom for your kid. That's why you have your kid. And so to me, God knows what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are. And I so believe that he gives us the kids that he gives us based on that. Like, you are going to be a good mom to this kid. And so here's what this kid is not going to need. Homemade cupcakes that look like Cookie Monster for their third birthday. Like, they're going to be okay with that. Like, there may be a kid that that means a lot to, you know, but... Mm -hmm. It's figuring out, like I learned with Caroline early on, I always, because she was my only child, I always wanted to kind of go over the top and do these big surprises. When she was two, like Santa brought her that like pink retro pottery barn kitchen, Oh, you know, like, so it was all set up. And in my mind, it was just going to be this perfect moment or whatever. She could have cared less about that kitchen. (laughs) Like it sat in our playroom. And it looked so cute, but like she never played with it. And I was like, she would have been just as happy with a cardboard box, you know, but we set ourselves up. But it's figuring out like you're the perfect mom to your kid, but that does not mean that you're a perfect mom. I just think that's a total myth because we all have days that we lose it. We all have days that we yell too much. We all have days that we probably need to tune in more. And instead, we're looking at our phone or we're on the phone or we're texting a friend. It's just life. I mean, because we're just imperfect people who are raising imperfect people.
0: Yes, yes. Last night, my child went to bed screaming because we during dinner, my husband turned on music. And so he had the Beatles playing and Vinny, like one song in was like, No, I want to listen to Elton John like, either option or fine. But yeah. we actually already turned on the Beatles. So we're gonna to listen to this tonight. But tomorrow night, you can choose the music. And if you want to listen to Elton John, you can. And yeah, also, I feel like my child is like 65 <laughs> years old, because he <laughs> wants to listen to Elton John during dinner. But yeah, he was okay. hysterical and ended uh, up like oh. refusing to finish his dinner. And I mean, this was it was at the end of a very long day. And he was yes. very tired. But right. So as my husband's putting him to bed, he's upstairs, he's hysterical, he's a complete mess. And I go on Facebook while I'm, like, hanging out after dinner waiting for my husband to come back downstairs Mm -hmm. from putting him down. And... I get on Facebook and this woman underneath a Halloween picture that I posted, this woman said, Will you adopt me? Your family's always having so much fun. And I was like, Oh my Uh, gosh. (laughs) This is. Little do you know. Exactly what you just talked about. That it's easy for everything to look so perfect and fun. And like our family's done a lot of fun things in the last few months. And so there's been a lot of fun Facebook posts. But also, my kid went to bed screaming about Elton John tonight. So.
1: Exactly right. It's all good in your house until somebody wants Elton John and then it spills off. (laughs) Right. So there's no goodbye yellow brick road happening in y'all's house
0: <laughs> totally tonight. and then this morning I said I said Vinny while we're eating breakfast you can pick the music if you want no I don't really want any music I was like you don't want Elton John no I don't want any Elton John I'm like seriously yeah <laughs> all yeah. that energy last night for yeah. nothing
1: yeah, you went to bed screaming, and I think that dawned on me. Like Caroline now cringes when she hears this story, but it was like she was probably about eight years old, and we were standing outside a church, and somebody was asking her about being an only child, and they were like, "Does it ever get lonely?" Which now I'm like, "Hey, grown up person, why are you baiting my child right, into like a right. discussion?" But at the time, I lost sight of that, and it was like, "Well, do you ever get lonely?" And she was like, "Yeah, I should, sometimes it's real boring," and I asked my mom to play with me, and she just says, "I need to sleep," and she's on the couch and. <laughs> And she's real lazy is how she. Oh, my gosh. And it's one of those where I was at this is a person I don't know. And like, I think I had just gone on a field trip with her class to the zoo the week before. And it was one of those moments where I was so crushed, because in my mind, I wanted her to like think that I was the best mom ever. And I know that she appreciates me as a mom and all that stuff. But it was in that moment where you're like, kids are just gonna say stuff like they're just gonna like maybe there was a day the past week where I had said "No, mommy's going to take a quick nap or whatever. But in her mind, that became my mom just sleeps all the time. And like we got in the car after that and I was crying and my husband hadn't heard any of it. And he was like, what has happened? Like, oh. what is going on? And I was like, I can't. And then Caroline's crying because I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is oh a train wreck. Yeah. Yeah. But it just makes you realize like you've got to give yourself grace because yeah you know, your kids, I mean, one night, they're going to say you're a bad mom, because you didn't get to they didn't get to listen to Elton John. And then by breakfast, the next day, they're over it. This episode is supported by a podcast
0: I want to share with you called understood explains. So this is show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is understood explains and it will pop right up click on it pick your episode and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school this episode is supported by earn in life doesn't happen bi-weekly so why should payday the money you earn now can be in your hands today with EarnIn. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period you Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Ernin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, When I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Yeah. Like, none of it probably was about Elton John. And
1: just like, you know, your daughter's Absolutely. comment was like- not about a nap. Like, it's... No, yeah. she was just making and now I know because she still does that is that she just makes conversation, you know, like she just wants to talk. So in her mind, she was just talking and she didn't feel like she didn't know that she was like, really, like throwing me under the bus, right, you know, bulging like, family secrets. <laughs> And like really hitting me. And like, I was like, there could not be a more vulnerable area. Right, right. You know, where you're just like, oh my gosh, like what has just happened? So, you know, we all have those days where they're just not good mom days. Right.
0: That's such an interesting example of how our identity is wrapped up in motherhood. And I mean, I think it's true for any mother, but I wonder when you have just one child, if you, and I'm speaking kind of for myself here, the overwhelming sense of, like, I get to do everything one time. So yeah. I want to really make sure I maximize that. And I want to make sure that I'm like, really involved and
1: engaged, but also like have appropriate boundaries and not be too helicopter ish. So. Yeah, it's like, you've got to figure it out. And I always because I always tell my husband, I'm like, if we screw this deal up, like it's us and the dogs for Christmas, you know, like, <laughs> right, nobody's coming home, we don't have a fallback kid who's gonna, you right. know, like, it's like, y'all, we need to have the Thanksgiving kid for 2042. Because I'm like, you feel that pressure of like, okay, you know, and I think there's also a little bit of guilt where you're like, I don't want her to look back and go, well, life would have been better if i had had brothers right. and sisters, right. you know, so yeah. it makes you feel a lot of pressure to sometimes make everything great. And the bottom line is, is that none of us can always make everything great. And you don't really want to raise a kid who has just been around that we're going to make everything great in your life all the time. Yes.
0: So that was like what came up last night with my husband and I, where we were like, we could easily change the music to Elton John, but also like this only child needs to know that like sometimes he gets outvoted.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yes, you're doing his future spouse a favor, you know, like you don't want to raise that person who just thinks they can always get their way. Right, right. Do you think society is
0: making it more or less easy to be a shameless mom?
1: To me, I think easier. I mean, I really feel like just in terms of our options, I think that we have more options. I think that there are so many ways to be a mom and to pursue something that you love or that you're passionate about. I think technology has done that a lot because I think that you can have things that you do from home or that you're able to do conference calls or all that kind of stuff. I think it's a little bit easier. And I think that I hope it feels like to me we're is women, I feel like we're in a space where it feels like we're giving each other more grace for all the decisions that we make, you know, where you don't have to just be a stay at home mom to be a good mom. Or, you know, if you're a working mom, that means you're selfish. Or, you know, if you're a stay at home mom, that means that, you know, you're not ambitious or whatever. I feel like there's space for all of that now, just because there's so many different ways to see women doing both really, really well. Yeah,
0: that's so interesting. I I totally agree. And what comes to mind is our what we talked about a few minutes ago about like the perfect lives that we see on social media. And I think that that can be really damaging and hard for us to stay grounded in reality when we see all that. Mm But on the other side of that, I think one of the gifts of social media is that we do see women going out and doing things and mothering in different ways and new ways and more powerful in different ways than maybe we've seen in the past. And I think that depending on how you what your exposure is to different things on social media, like I am really conscientious of what I expose myself to. So I feel like my feed is just constantly full of people who are like being Really strong and powerful and unique in how they mother and work and embrace entrepreneurship. And that's amazing. And that is inspiring. And that makes me think like, oh, if they can do that, I can totally do that. So that really, I feel like that's a huge blessing of social media for me. Yeah, that I really see what is possible. And I see less and less limits and boundaries on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really do feel like we're living in a world that like our grandmothers couldn't have imagined in terms of what our options are, you know, like I just feel like there are so many opportunities available to women. And I think I look at it as raising a daughter where I'm like, there's nothing that she won't be able to do, you know, and to me, I try to emphasize that to her over and over again, because I don't want her to grow up feeling like the only path in life is to get married and to have kids and to be a mom like that's great if that's what she wants. But I also have friends that are single, whether by choice or just the way it's worked out who are doing amazing things, who have amazing ministries and who travel and write and speak and get to do all these cool things. And it's like, you can pick, you know, I mean, all of those things are options. And Mm so, you know, and I think that's good for our girls, for these younger girls to see that we're a generation of women that really are able to do anything that we want to do. It just is a matter of you know, working hard and figuring out what it is, what your passion is, and what you want to do.
0: Right, right. I caught myself encouraging Vinny to have children so that I could have grandchildren. Yeah, like last week. And I was like, "Hmm, maybe five is not the right time for this conversation. And also, maybe this is just an entirely inappropriate conversation to have at all. Because he probably isn't going to have kids because I want him to. And like you just said, like, maybe he won't want to have kids. Maybe he won't get married. Like, I have no idea. And so I I was like, oh, it's already started where I'm trying to make him live a life that will make my life better.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know, well, it's funny because my daughter had gone to a college fair at her high school this past week and she came home with all these college brochures. And my husband said, and I said, well, I said, you know, I said, you've got, I said, there's so much life over the next four years that's going to help you kind of figure out and determine where you want to go and what you want to do. And Perry piped in and he goes, and you may decide like college isn't for you. Like you may decide what you want to go do is like mission work in the Amazon. And I wanted to be like, shut your dirty mouth. Like, Do not put that in her head. I do not want her to move off to the Amazon. Right. But it's also realizing like that may be her calling. That may be her passion. That may be her thing. And that's to me, then that goes back to being a brave mom where you have to let them go and do that. Yes,
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. My sister and I are so, so different. And my mom realized kind of after the fact that education like I love school. I was totally nerdy. I was like in the advanced math class and loved being like acknowledged for getting good grades and all that. None of those things mattered at all to my sister. So Mm -hmm. I really thrived in the academic setting and would have stayed in it like for way longer if my mom would have continued to help me pay for it beyond four years of college. And uh, my sister was just like, not into it at all. And my mom realized when my sister was in her early 20s, that it wasn't in our family's best interest for education to be kind of this one size fits all thing. And Mm -hmm. so like, I went to a college prep high school, that like 99% of the kids that graduated from there went on to college, my sister went to the same high school and didn't really like wasn't ready to go to college afterwards. But she went because that's what everyone did. And she had a very different experience than I had. Like I had a fantastic experience. And my sister had a lot of fun. But she in terms of like the academic rigor was not her jam. Like she had a great time making new friends. But yeah, And it took her a long time to get herself through school and many attempt, like many start over attempts, which is really challenging and overwhelming and potentially damaging on a young person's self image when it's been kind of prescribed that like, well, right after high school, you go right into college. And if you don't finish in four years, I mean, then like you haven't done what you're supposed to do, you know, and not that my mom gave her really those messages really directly, but it's just kind of this subliminal message Mm -hmm. of if your whole family's done it on one track, this is how it's done. Yeah, And so my mom yeah. really acknowledges now she's like, oh, that wasn't like not everyone needs to be on the same track. And yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: So. it's true. It's so true.
0: So I want to know in what ways you are a shameless mom.
1: You know, it's funny, because I would have said even in college, I mean, all I wanted to be which I mean, I know, this is maybe not politically correct. But I feel like for years, I thought all I wanted to be was a wife and a mom like that was really, and I've, thought about that a lot of as an, as an adult, because I mean, my parents got divorced when I was eight. And so I think I spent a lot of my life like searching for like, I just wanted family, you know, like, and so to me, that was to create my own family. So I thought this was all I wanted. But then college ended, and I hadn't met anybody to marry. So I had to get a job, you know, so I had this career. And I ended up in pharmaceutical sales. And I did that until Caroline was three. So in that space, I got married, I had a baby, I was a full time working mom. And then at about eight When she was about three, I ended up quitting that job to pursue writing. And it's funny to me how I realized as much as I loved being a mom, as fulfilling as motherhood is, as much as like being her mom is like one of the great loves of my life and my true passion that for me, I also felt like. I needed space that was just mine, which is really what I started the blog out of when she was in, you know, she was wasn't even three years old yet was it was like, I just needed a space that was mine to pursue my passions and my dreams and to keep in touch with. I think that's the thing is you don't want to lose yourself in motherhood because then I think you lose yourself as a woman and motherhood is great as it is. I mean, it's an 18 year span per child, you know, that when they're under your roof. And then, you know, and I think especially as kids, I mean, and you're still in the thick of it, but I mean, even with Caroline in high school now, I'm like, the bulk of her day is not with me. You know, I have all these hours in the day where I feel better doing something that's productive and that I love and that is bringing an income and that I'm passionate about and, and all of that. I think it's so important for women to have something, even if that's like volunteer work, it doesn't have to be, but just to have something that's theirs outside of just being a wife and a mom.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And I think that it's a challenge that we have to really take responsibility for to have an identity outside of motherhood, even if your dream was to be a wife and a mom, and you're living that wife and mom dream, you still have to have challenge yourself to be responsible for also having being you finding yourself in there somewhere. Yeah, So that you have something to, like you said, it's an 18 year time span, which can feel like forever and can also feel like yes. no time at all relative to a life that might be like 80 to 90 years
1: long. So yeah. Yeah. But I think there's even a school counselor in our school district and he talks about, he's like, you know, when he has moms that are constantly like emailing him, like, you know, little John needs this and little John needs that, that he's like, you know what I tell them, you need to go get a job. He said, like, literally, like, you need to have something else to think about (laughs) besides that. Because, you know, you can, because I think that's how you become a helicopter parent is because that's all you have. That's where all your energy is. And so you're constantly looking at ways that your child can be better and you can be better and all that stuff. But it's like, what if... If you use that same energy to mentor moms that are younger than you or to start a Bible study group or to get a group of neighbor women together so that people have community or, you know, go get a job or figure out something online that you want to do. I mean, just whatever that is, it's like it's good for us and it's good for our kids, I think, to see that they're not just the center of our universe all the time.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I was just last night looking at this volunteer thing for to help out in this women's shelter near our house and i was like oh my gosh like i got so excited about mm-hmm. it and i was telling my husband i was like this is like this is a way i can mother more without having yeah. another child so it's like and that, and that i think that's interesting to observe like what are the things you are drawn to and that is how you can also like live life beyond motherhood so that when the children are gone, when they need you less, which is like the most painful thing for me to think about is like, when my child won't need me, how can I still fulfill that my desire to mother in a different way. So I was telling my husband about this, I was like, so excited, like, maybe I can go help at the shelter. Yeah, he he was kind of laughing, like how eager I was. I was like, No, I really think this will be great. So
1: yeah, it's a good and I, I mean, and I think and if somebody's listening to this, and you currently have like, three kids under the age of five, then that's what you're doing. You know, I mean, so I think that's the other thing is you've got to give yourself grace. I mean, I'm talking about seasons of life where you feel like you have margin to do right, something. Else. Right. You know, I think that's part of it is mm-hmm. like if you've got three babies that are in diapers or whatever, then like you're just lucky keeping everybody alive by yeah. the end of the day. You don't, you don't know, need to go, know, go volunteer to, at the shelter. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I think that as your kids start to emerge and become their own people, which I think to me happens when they really start school like mm-hmm. kindergarten and you've got these hours in the day, it's like, what are you going to do with those hours in the day? You know, you've got some time there to, you know, figure something else out. Right.
0: I love all this. This has been so great and so fun. And I appreciate all your insight and taking the time to be here with us. I want to do our shameless mommy minute lightning round in just a moment. But first, I want you to let us know where we can find you and where can we find Church of the Small Things.
1: You can find me at Melanie I'm Melanie Schenkel on Instagram, Big Mama, but I think it's at Big Mama on Twitter. And then Church of the Small Things is everywhere books are sold. So you can get it at Lifeway. You can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, in your local bookstore pretty much anywhere you get to Costco. I've heard it's at Costco. So nice. you can, yeah. So, you know, you can go get your like 64 rolls of toilet paper and pick up a, <laughs> a copy of Church of Small Things.
0: <laughs> totally, so. totally. So I will have your website linked up here, your Instagram, your Twitter, and then also a link to get the book online all over in the show notes. And that'll be over at shamelessmom.com. If people want to click on episode 178 with Melanie Schenkel. So, okay. Are you ready for your shameless mommy minute? I'm ready. Here we go. What is your favorite way to treat yourself?
1: I think it's got to be a pedicure or a massage. Nice. What is the
0: current book that you're reading or the last one you read?
1: I'm reading Lilac Girls right now.
0: Oh, is that fiction or nonfiction?
1: It's fiction. It's set in World War II. i I'm going to give you a heads up. I feel like the cover is misleading because it's really depressing because it's (laughs) World War II. Okay. But it's good. It's an amazing story, but it's just you just need to be prepared. If you're looking for like a feel good, lighthearted book, here's a tip. Don't get one about the Holocaust.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Like it's not a beachy vacation read. (laughs) Yeah, no, not so much. What is one morning ritual you can't live without?
1: Oh, a cup of coffee.
0: Nice. Who is your biggest inspiration?
1: I think Beth Moore.
0: Who's Beth Moore?
1: Beth Moore is a Bible study teacher and speaker. She's written a lot of women's Bible studies. She's probably about 10 years older than me, and she's based in Houston, Texas. So I had done her Bible studies for years, and then I've had the opportunity to get to know her in real life. And I just think she does a really good job of balancing all the things that she does. Oh, nice. Yeah.
0: If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why?
1: Oh, I think the ability to read minds. Yes. Because I think we could stop a lot of dumb things our kids are about to do if we could just read their minds and be like, don't do it. Just do me a favor. Just don't, (laughs) don't do it.
0: Right. I love it. I love it. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for being here today and spending time in the Shameless Mom Academy. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you have huge success with your book and with all the other writing things you have coming up.
1: And I also hope you take some time to do a little more Netflix before you get the ball rolling too quickly on your other projects. I know. Don't worry. I will. I will. So thank you so much. I so appreciated being here today. It was a lot of fun. Sure. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for spending time with Melanie and
0: me in the Shameless Mom Academy. I hope you learned something new. I hope you were inspired and I hope you feel fired up to go and live your best day, your best life and all those great things. If this is your first time joining us in the Shameless Mom Academy, know that we release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So we will be back in just a couple days with another episode. So please do join us again. You can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will take you into Apple Podcasts And that will allow you to hit the little subscribe button and you will immediately get all episodes as soon as they are released while you're there you can leave us a review i do read all reviews i love to get your feedback it really means a million dollars to me it means the world to me is what i meant to say means the world to me when you leave reviews and I get your feedback. It really, really helps me when I am considering directions for the show and considering topics to talk about. Knowing what means a lot to you means a lot to me. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your reviews with me. I do appreciate it. I hope you have a fantastic day. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. I can't wait to spend time together with you again in just a few days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.